Hi. Um, they asked me to give a little update with what's going on in Virginia. And for those that may not know me, um, I'm Melissa Merrill. You speak Kaminsky. And um, uh, my husband and I are missionaries. Um, we work with CBM Release Time. So what we do is we teach um, public school kids. We teach them Bible during school hours. And so what we do is we go in, we take the kids out during, like, their P.E. time, and we walk them to a trailer, and we teach them Bible for about 45 minutes, and then we bring them back. And, um, <clears throat> uh, but first I wanted to say just thank you for your prayers and financial support. It's been such a blessing to receive that from the church and from some individuals. It's been such a blessing. Um, <clears throat> also, we had some car troubles in December and barely made it to our destination. Um, but we just thank you. I know the mission committee voted to uh, give us a little bit of money to help us with that, and that was a huge blessing, so thank you for that. Um, <clears throat> this year, Mariah and I, we got married in May and then went straight out to camp, and I know we gave you a little bit of an update in August. And um, right after that, there were some teachers that were retiring, and they didn't have um, a teacher to replace them, and so they asked Mariah and I if we would take over for them for that year. And so with a lot of prayer, we decided to take over for the year, and so we took a whole county. We taught at three schools, and um, we started with 200 kids and ended up with 400 at the end of the school year. And it was just a blessing. It was just Mariah and I who taught them, so with a lot of children to try to keep straight and names, didn't always do well with the names, but <laughs> um, but it was just a blessing. What did you yes. teach? What we teach them? We taught them Bible stories. Oh, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Most of these kids are unchurched kids. Um, they don't. Most of them don't even know who David is, or some of them don't even know who Jesus is. Some of them never opened the Bible, never stepped foot in a church. A lot of these kids are unsaved, um, or they call our release time their church. Um, and we don't want to be their church. We want to get them into local churches. And so we're trying to start that this next year to try to get the pastors connected with our kids. Because just in our county, we had 400. But all the, we teach in five counties, and we have about 5,000 students that we reach just kindergarten through fifth grade. So that's just elementary kids. Um, so Mariah and I taught from October to April this year. And really enjoyed it. Um, there were some struggles and tiring moments, but definitely worth it. And um, I know that the Lord was blessed through it. Um, we have a maintenance building that we've been building on the camp property, and it is almost complete. It's been a definitely a huge praise that we've needed for our camp so we can do projects indoors during the winter time. Um, this summer, we have camp starting in a week. And um, <clears throat> our theme is Farm Fresh Faith. And we want to help the kids not only to receive the Lord as their Savior, but also to grow in Scripture and to grow in their walk with the Lord. And so that's our focus this year. Um, <clears throat> this year we are starting day camp. And we're so excited because there's first and second graders that are too young to be able to come to camp um, that we reach through release time. Um, so we're going to start three weeks of day camp. And we already have 36 day campers signed up for our first week. Um, and then we already have almost 60 kids set, signed up for our first week of overnight camp. Um, and that's more than last year. So we're just really excited about how the kids are just getting excited about camp. Um, so we run three weeks of junior camp, which is third through sixth grade. 
and we'll have day camp overlapping, and then we have um, junior camp, which is 6th through 9th, and then senior camp, which is 9th through 12th grade. So be in prayer with us. We have camp pretty much all through until August, and then we have a few rental groups as well. Um, <clears throat> and we have about 30 staff. So we have some teenagers and college students. So just be in prayer for our staff this summer, as I know there's going to be a lot more kids to be able to reach out to, but just be in prayer for our staff. as It's going to be a long summer and a hot summer as well. So just pray that we'll have the energy and the strength and that God will get the glory through it all. Um, some prayer requests along with that is um, in the fall we're going to be starting to build our office, which we really need an office because right now um, Mariah and James, the director, are working out of their houses. And it would be nice to have a camp office and a welcome center, um, just a central location. So we'll be starting that in the fall. And then um, <clears throat> just decisions to help grow the camp that our leadership will be unified and um, <clears throat> making decisions that will honor, honor the Lord and that we'll just all work together as a whole. We really need prayer with that. Um, and then also some release time teachers. We still need teachers um, for some of our counties, like where we were teaching this last year, since Ryan and I will be having a baby soon, um, we will need um, a teacher <laughs> to take over for us in that area. So just be in prayer that There'll be volunteers that will be just willing to take over the different counties so that we can continue to reach out to these kids because we don't want to lose those 400 kids or plus more. Um, and then just be in prepare—I mean, in prayer for Mariah and I as we continue to raise support. Um, we're currently at about 60% or so, um, and the Lord's definitely been providing. Like I said, when we had the car issues and um, the Lord just— prepared more than what we even needed and continues to provide with, you know, random support being sent in when there's, you know, a crisis like that or whatever. We just, the Lord continues to provide, but just continue to pray for us as this fall we're hoping to travel a little bit more um, to go to different churches to hopefully raise that support. And then be praying for us as we'll be preparing to have a little baby in December. So we're excited about that and a little nervous, but, and, um, just continue to pray for us as we'll be away from family too and it's not always easy but I thank you so much for all your prayers and staying up to date with us and just praying and um, supporting us we really appreciate you guys have been a blessing all growing up growing up here and um, continue to be a blessing so thank you Amen. Well, Melissa, it sure is good to have you back, and so exciting to hear the baby, and that was a good report. Thank you. Why don't we, why don't we pray for their ministry right now? <clears throat> Father in heaven, we are so thankful for Melissa and Mariah. We're thankful for the work of grace you've done in their hearts. We're thankful for the calling you have on them. We're thankful, Lord, for, um, Lord, just how you've helped them to be faithful and, uh, Lord, we know it is tough to be away from family and especially most all the way uh, 3,000 miles away from her parents. And, and uh, Lord, we just pray you give extra measure of grace with this baby coming to. Uh, we pray that it be a, a wonderful joy in their home and, and you'd help them as they raise that child for your glory. We pray, Lord, for Mariah and the other director at the camp there as they get geared up for camp to start in a week. We're excited to hear about the campers that are coming and the day camp and 
And uh, Lord, we just pray the gospel go forth clearly. And we're thankful that it is the power of God unto salvation. So we just pray that you would uh, help uh, hearts to be open and tender. And Lord, that you would just uh, save souls there. And Lord, just for the wisdom, for the decisions about the the building, the infrastructure there, um, these students in these Bible release time classes, Lord, we just pray that you would do mighty work through all that. Lord, just have your hand upon Melissa and Mariah, Lord. We pray you'd provide financially, Lord, and meet their needs as we know you will. Lord, we love you now, and we just ask your hand upon the remainder of this service, and Lord, that we would just give that worship to your name. And Lord, help us to learn a little bit more about a Bible college in California and the work that's being done there, and Lord, how we can know more and, and be behind this college and uh, just see uh, souls saved and trained and, and uh, people going out to reach others with the gospel. We love you now and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Come on. Hey, well, good evening and uh, greetings from Lancaster Baptist Church and West Coast Baptist College. My name is uh, Drew Shetler, and uh, I am the group leader of the summer uh, tour ministry team that's with us here today. And uh, they want to give you a gift and sing a few songs for you. So as they sing a few songs and just kind of share their names and kind of maybe where they're from and what year they are in college, I hope you kind of open your heart and allow uh, the message of the song to speak to you. So guys, why don't you come on up? There's 
Christ did for me what I could not do there under the blood. Just like the Passover in Egypt's land, it took the blood to save men. came down and found me he came to 
gentlemen that was super um it was 30 years ago that our pastor uh paul chapel came to lancaster california and uh, with just a handful of people began to uh, do the work of god in the local church and began knocking on doors reaching people in the community and uh seeing people saved baptized and discipled and the lord has grown over the last 30 years uh the ministry in the church of lancaster baptist church uh exponentially and the influence uh that pastor chapel has and the ministry there has just uh has grown so much and it is a testimony of the grace of god and it was about 20 years ago that he decided to start a bible college for young men and young ladies to train uh to become one day maybe pastors or evangelists or christian school teachers or just great uh, mothers and wives and husbands and fathers and west coast baptist college is just that in a sense that it allows you as a young person or whoever uh, enrolls as a student to lay a foundation for why you believe uh, what you believe and it puts you in an environment that cultivates your heart after jesus christ and some people ask, well, why, why West Coast above another Bible college? Or why this place above that place? And I think there's a, a slew and a great amount. And I'm so thankful for all the institutions of education that are, are Christian-based and preaching the gospel and, and wanting uh, young people to, to uh, steward their life and to grow and become like Christ. And I think of a place like West Coast, how personally I was impacted and uh, just taken back by the care that each one of the professors and administrators took upon my own uh, personal walk with God. It wasn't just a textbook. It wasn't just something that they had prepared for a class. But they lived it out and they wanted me to succeed in my Christian life. And they wanted me to go out and do the same thing that they had done 
for many, many years. So um, that's our ministry, and we are glad to be here um, at Westside Baptist to be a ministry to you. And so I think this is maybe our 26th or 27th church. We left May 10th and been on the road ever since. We're going to go back down to Spiritual Leadership Conference in Lancaster, and uh, they have a uh, Christian uh, uh, or their their, their um, church teams are going to do a camp, and we're going to be there for that. And so I'd ask maybe that you would pray for us as we continue on our journey. Thousands of miles traveled. We have six different groups from our college uh, traveling, but it is a blessing to go from church to church and see how they reach out in their community, see the faithfulness of the pastor. And we've been in some great churches and another one tonight. And so we're thrilled about being here. Now on the back table, uh, I guess would be to your right, is some resources that might be beneficial to your spiritual walk. We have uh, a few that I'll mention. Um, One is called A Word to the Wise. And this is a practical advice from the book of Proverbs. It's kind of like a daily devotional or something you can put in addition to your devotions. And it's just got one devotion for every day of the year, a verse and kind of a a story for that might be helpful for you. Also, um, Dr. Don Sisk, he is celebrating 60 years in the ministry. He was a missionary for a number of years uh, in Japan, and uh, he's from Kentucky. And it's just it's kind of neat seeing how God has directed him from Kentucky to Japan. And now he uh, kind of serves and helps uh, at Lancaster Baptist Church and the college and uh, travels a lot of churches, does missions conferences. And he's written a book called The Fourth Quarter. And uh, he's getting up there in, in years, and he's a little a seasoned veteran. But he said, you know what, I'm not going to quit. I'm not going to uh, flake out or put it on cruise control or put things in neutral. I'm going to still work for the Lord. And so this might be a helpful book for you if uh, maybe you're in that stage of life and you say, I'm not going to quit. I'm going to I'm in the fourth quarter, but I'm going to finish to the end. And then uh, a book written by a uh, pastor's wife, Terry Chapel. Uh, it's called The Choice is Yours. And this is talking about the joy in life and with Jesus Christ is not based off the possessions you have or maybe the spouse you have, but it's based off your attitude and the choice that you decide to have. And so this is a good book for that. And then also Pastor Chapel's written this great book. It's called The Burden Bear. And this is a phenomenal book. It's written in an allegory uh, type literary device. And uh, it's phenomenal if you just need some encouragement in life. And I think we all need that. That's why we come to church to encourage one another. And this might be a good book for you. And last but not least is our new college choir CD that one of the songs is uh, one of the guys, uh, or, or these guys here, are on the CD. So if you like their music, maybe you could stop by and buy one of these. Uh, the cost for each one is $15. And then we have two other new ones, uh, When I Survey and a Redemption Trio, and uh, four for uh, 50 five for 60 and uh, 10 for 100 We do take card, cash, check, no small children, please. We don't have room in our... <laughs> in our van for that and uh, so really we are um, are blessed to be here and just to meet uh, Pastor Kaminsky and e- even Pastor uh, Nathan and uh, some of the other members here and it's neat to see your faithfulness here on a on a Sunday night it's packed out I like this so uh, they're gonna play a video and I believe the video is ready and then the guys are gonna come up and sing a few more songs If I asked you, what will you do with the rest of your life? Would you have an answer? Well, here's a better question. Do you know what God's purpose is for your future? Wow, there are so many options. And it can feel overwhelming. 
You know, though, choosing a college is really just a small part of a much bigger picture. Who will you be in 20 and 30 years? And what will you have to show for the life that God has entrusted to you? The real question, what is God's call in your life? What is His purpose? And how will you honor Him with the life that He's given to you? Hi, I'm Jim Shetler. And for the next few moments, I want to encourage you in two ways. First of all, I want you to seriously consider serving Jesus Christ with the life that He's given you. And secondly, I'd like to introduce to you West Coast Baptist College, a place where God could mold and prepare you for His perfect will. And if you don't know what to do for your future, well, this is a great place to hear God and begin having a clear perspective on His call. The heart of West Coast Baptist College is Lancaster Baptist Church. The church provides a biblical, healthy local church model of ministry. Pastor Paul Chapel came here with his family in 1986, and since that time, Lancaster Baptist Church has become one of the most dynamic, independent Baptist churches in America. Every week, God is blessing the soul-winning, the preached Word of God, the Christ-honoring music, and the loving spirit of the church. The church is a place where you as a student can practice and apply the ministry lessons that you will learn in your classes. One of the greatest aspects of West Coast is who you'll learn from. On this campus, you'll be mentored by genuine servant-hearted men and women of God who truly expend themselves for the cause of Christ. Our entire team of faculty and staff give themselves every week on the front line of ministry, and they love having a part in mentoring students like you for a long and fruitful ministry for Christ. The classroom experience and academic structure of West Coast will grow, challenge, and strengthen you. Full-time, well-qualified instructors will deliver well-prepared, valuable material in a dynamic and engaging way. At West Coast, every major is a Bible major, and there are dozens of areas of study from which you can choose that will help you prepare for your future. Bible college stretches you in a lot of ways. And during those times of growth and pressure, it's good to occasionally relax and have a great time with godly friends. When classes are finally out and you get a minute off work, you are going to love campus life and the student spirit of West Coast. And within an hour or two of campus, there's a lot to see and do in Southern California. You're going to have some experiences here that you are never going to forget. There is nothing like serving God with your life. He's your creator. 
and has given you a holy calling that's too valuable to ignore. Your life is too eternally significant for you to miss your reason for existing. To this culture, you're just a a marketing group. You're a segment of the population to buy games and clothes and phones. You're a randomly evolved biological matter with no real value or significance. But to God, you are precious. You are highly valuable. You are worth redeeming by the blood of Jesus Christ. Your life matters in God's eternal purpose. Are you ready? Are you ready to discover that purpose and live life for His purpose and plan? Are you ready to make a difference with your one life for the cause of Jesus Christ? Or maybe you're not sure how God is leading your life, but you're ready to begin discovering then we invite you to West Coast Baptist College. Let us help you begin making an eternal difference with your life.
met your pastor just a few moments ago. He, we were talking about the service and what was going to go on and everything. And, and uh, he said, now, how many, how many songs are they singing? Or I don't know exactly what we were talking about. I said, I think we got, we got five down. And he kind of looked at me like, you better be singing more than that, brother. I mean, <laughs> bringing you all the way out here. <laughs> you know, we're providing you a little bit of lodging, some food. You better sing some more. So we upped it to six. And then... <laughs> And then uh, I said, yeah, are you going to do, do a skit, some testimonies? we got to show a video. You know, he's all about a 10-minute message and then big, big program. And then this gentleman over here, he's like, no, there's going to be some preaching, right? So we got a, we got a little conflict. Over. He's got his bona fide Bible board over here. I think that's awesome. What was your name again, sir? Mike. So Mike's, Mike's on my team, all right? So we're going to have some preaching tonight. It's going to be great. No, your pastor's all for preaching as long as it's only 10 minutes. Um, <laughs> So we're going to do something a little bit different tonight. Imagine ourselves in the first century, as first century believers. And uh, we live in Philippi. And Philippi is whatever it is, historically or geographically, that's where we're from. All right, tonight we're going to imagine. C.S. Lewis, he was big about imagination. He has a few quotes about that. And, you know, he wrote the Chronicles of Narnia and the Screwtape Letters and some other ones. Big about imagination. So put on your imagination caps, uh, kindergarten class. Just kidding. Here we go. First century believers. We are in the town of Philippi. And we have just received an epistle, a, a letter a word from the Lord written by Paul, the apostle himself. 
And the pastor is not mentioned, but let's say his name is, uh, accordingly to the town, Pastor Philippi. So we have the First Baptist Church in Philippi, uh, led by Pastor Philippi himself. And he begins to discuss to his church congregation uh, that he has received a message from the Lord written by uh, Paul himself. And he, therefore, every Sunday or first day of the week and every time they met, he would begin to discuss what the writings were. Now, understand, Gutenberg wasn't around. The printing press wasn't around until the 1500s. And so you had a lot of people with not really any copies of the Word of God. Now, they would make copies. They would call them manuscripts. But they didn't have readily acceptable copies that everyone could read. And they could come up and read what, what what the letter was. But for the most part... They had to trust, in a way, the bishop or the overseer, the pastor, uh, the pastor of Philippi, and what he said, and the elders of the church, and they would read it, and they would discuss the contents of the Word of God. Now, imagine if, you know, in kind of a cultural setting, sometimes we do, we do series in the 21st century. We do series of messages. We do topics and things. Imagine if Pastor Philippi went through a series, kind of verse by verse. They didn't have verses and chapter divisions back then, but work with me here. We're using our imaginations. He kind of went paragraph by paragraph, concept by concept, and he began to deliver what the contents of this message was. And he got all the way through chapter number one and then through chapter number two, and everyone was on top of things, learning and gleaning from the Word of God. And uh, he began to read. And now, by the way, I, I noticed some of you guys got your got your Bibles out. You got to close your Bible. We're in the first century church here. We we didn't have we didn't have <laughs> Mike's like I'm not I'm not closing that thing. We'll get to open it in a second. All right. Okay. So he gets to Philippians chapter chapter number two, and he begins to say the, maybe the title of the message. Or today we are going to learn about the mind of Christ. And Paul says that we need to have the mind of Christ. He begins maybe around verse number one and says, If there be therefore any consolation in Christ, if any comfort uh, of love, if any fellowship with the Spirit, if any bowels and mercies, fulfill ye my joy, that ye be like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind. He says, this is review from the last few weeks. And let nothing be done through strife or vain glory, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem other better than themselves. Look not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others. And then he gets to this verse, but nobody, of course, every, everyone is listening, and nobody really has a copy necessarily. They're listening to what the pastor of Philippi says. He says, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. And he closes the scroll and then says to his church, all right, church at Philippi, here's what we need, the mind of Christ. Closes the scroll, prays, calls for an invitation. Nobody comes forward because everyone's confused. Well, what is the mind of Christ? (laughs) You didn't read the following phrases, Pastor. And he says, like all good Sunday school teachers do with missionary stories, you'll have to come back next week to find out. (laughs) And so there was a buzz in the town of Philippi. (laughs) Remember, imagination. This didn't actually happen, but I'm trying to explain this truth to you, okay? So... There's a buzz in Philippi, and everyone's talking about how at the First Baptist Church of Philippi, Pastor Philippi, who said that we all need to have the mind of Christ, it's very important to have the mind of Christ, but he didn't actually explain 
what that was. And so everyone's in a way of, uh, of anticipation and excitement. They're intrigued and, and really uh, just energized by curiosity. And they want to know what is the mind of Christ. And so people, uh, the, next, the next Sunday, people who normally sit in the back are now a little bit closer all the way on the front. And now there's, there's empty chairs maybe in the back, or actually there's no empty chairs at all. Everyone is in the First Baptist Church of Philippi because people heard that they wanted to hear what the mind of Christ was. It's packed. And everyone's silent as the pastor approaches the pulpit and he begins to discuss the contents of the message. He says, of course, last week I spoke to you about having the mind of Christ. Everyone sighed and said, has grumbled inside and thinking, yes, but you did not tell us what it was. He says, but this week I will explain to you the importance and what is exactly the mind of Christ. And then he begins to read. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, Thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men. Being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. He perhaps looked up at his church congregation and he looked at those people and would say this, that, It is important that we know the mind of Christ. And as Paul has perfectly explained to us what the mind of Christ is, we need to have this. He says, Jesus Christ changed the world. He cleared and eradicated it from sin. And now there is a free gift of salvation known or acceptable unto all men. Men can receive that by faith. Jesus Christ came to change the world. But He did not do that with the mind of a king. He did not do that with the mind of a ruler or some sort of prince or some great dignitary. He did not even do that with the mind of a God. Jesus came with the mentality of a servant. And that is the mind that we need to have if we want to change this world. And that is what I explain to you tonight, Westside Baptist. Now, I've heard this hundreds of times. Our college is real big proponents on servant leadership. Be a servant. Serve this, serve that. And we have opportunities where we can serve. And one time I was reading this passage and it just automatically hit me. Here's Jesus Christ, the Son of God, who we want to portray, who we want to be exactly like And boy, I'm passionate. I'm ambitious. I want to go change the world. I want to go do something awesome for for God and do it in this great uh, array of talent and ambition and be awesome for the Lord. And then automatically I was struck with this thought of what Christ had, this mind that he had, such humility, such a lowly state. And it was the mind of a servant that changed the world. For the Son of Man came not to be ministered unto, but to minister and to give his life a ransom for many. So, think about the world. Think about our country. Think about this state. Think about this community. Think about your family. Think about this church. Think about your own personal life. If there's change to be needed, if there's change that is wanted, here's the answer. 
have the mind of Christ, which is a servant. Now, the concept of a servant is maybe easy to understand, but it's very hard to apply. For the concept of a servant is this, one who is willing to sacrifice personal promotion to exalt the needs of others. One who raises the preferences above his own. One who delights in giving more than in receiving. Now put your name in the place of one who, and does it still make sense? Is it still truthful? Maybe myself. Drew is willing to sacrifice personal promotion to exalt the needs of others. Drew delights in giving more than in receiving. If you can put your name in that place and it still makes sense, then you would have the mind of Christ. But so often it is easy, not just in a day's time or a week's time, but moment by moment we have to decide to have this mind that Christ had. The concept is giving of yourself. To take the bottom rung of the ladder, to take the back seat, so to speak, and in this uh, performance of uh, attributes or talents and saying, you know what, I'll, I'll put your preferences above my own. I'll put it before myself. The concept of a servant is selflessness. And the character of a servant is a few things. One, it's humble. It's, hu- it's humility. Now, humility is interesting because the Bible explains it as the lower you go, the higher you will be esteemed. James 4.18 says, humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord and he shall lift you up. In 1 Peter 5, 5, it says, Likewise, ye younger, submit yourselves unto the elder. Yea, all of you be subject one to another and be clothed with humility. For God resisted the proud and giveth grace to the humble. I like how the Bible uses word pictures. And he says, I want you to put on the apparel of humility. Now, when you go to a department store or just a store in general to buy a new pair of clothes, a new jacket, a new shirt, a new whatever... When you go to put it on or try it on, you don't keep the old clothes on. Say you're trying on a new jacket and you have a jacket on because it's cold outside or whatever. You take that jacket off and then you put on the other jacket. That's the same thing with humility. Humility. You have to put off self before you can put on humility. You can't have both. (laughs) And sometimes we try to keep this concept of like, well, let's be humble and yet still hold on to self. You can't do it. Peter says, be clothed with humility. Uh, Being a servant is not only humble, but it's also genuine. You see, Jesus wasn't in it for himself. And a lot of times you find people in the name of service doing something for someone in hopes of receiving something back from them. Jesus didn't do it necessarily to have someone do something back for them. He just was doing it out of the obedience of his Father in heaven, he said, I am going to the cross. And the love of Christ, it compelled him to the cross and to sacrifice himself and his his blood and his atonement for sin. So let me ask you, are you genuine in your service? That whatever you do in this church, you say, boy, if there's anyone who's a servant, anyone who has a badge of service, it's me. But maybe you're just doing it for pastor's attention. Or maybe you're doing it for so-and-so's attention and you're trying to get something from somebody else. Hence, you are not a servant. I find myself doing the same situations. It's really, it's human nature. But yet, that's not the mind of Christ. The mind of a servant is humble, it's genuine, and it's also proactive. You have to do something about service. You can't muster up enough thoughts to serve. You have to serve proactively. Now, this is Christianity in a nutshell. And you might think, well, I thought it was love. I thought love is what Christianity is. But yet, 
love is, or service is love translated. Love is the, the non-tangible. It, it, it's, a, it's a concept. It, yes, it is something that is real, but you can't, you can't really hold love. And service is something you can see. Service is something you can do. So service is love translated. So have you put this, uh, this, this service that's building up in your heart, this love towards God and towards other people, have you put that to work? And could you fill in the blank and say, this is what I do in the church. This is what I do for the Lord. Not to promote yourself or arrogantly say, yes, I serve. But is there something that you could tangibly say, this is how I serve the Lord? Maybe it's just praying for the missionaries or Maybe it's uh, uh, preparing a meal or, or, or going to the widow's houses or soul winning or working in the children's ministry or whatever concept. The, the, the neat thing about Christianity is serving is, is such a wide spectrum of different positions. You can serve in so many ways. You can serve by just giving somebody an encouraging word. When was the last time you just came up to someone, put your arm around them, or just looked them in the eyes and said, hey, I'm praying for you, or hey, I hope you're having a good day. I was thinking about you yesterday. Or you give somebody a note of encouragement or something like that. That is a way to serve, and that's proactive serving. But for the last portion of the message, and really the most important, I want to talk about the creed of a servant. Now take your Bibles, finally, okay. John chapter number 13. John chapter number 13. That was all Bible, Mike, you know. (laughs) Okay, but now we're using our Bibles and we're going to look in the scriptures, okay? John chapter number 13. Now, a servant's creed denies the excuse and promotes the need. So we need to look at three obstacles a Christian must overcome to fulfill this servant's creed. And we look at it from the example of Jesus. It's amazing that this story is found in the scriptures, the, John talks about how he, he could have put uh, hundreds of different stories. And really, if if there were there was a, there basically the whole world's books could not contain the life of Jesus. I think that's amazing. <laughs> well, what an attribute or what a what a, a compliment that John gives Jesus. And I think it's true. But in that regards, then we have to understand if there's so many other stories, then the stories that are in here are very, very important. Even the ones that just don't make sense. But this one is definitely important. No, they're all important. But this one is the one we need to realize why Jesus did this. And we need to look at the three obstacles he overcame to be a true servant. And he does this as an example for us. Verse number four, the Bible says, He riseth from supper and laid aside his garments and took a towel and girded himself. After that, he poureth water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the uh, the towel wherewith he was girded. Jesus was at the Last Supper in the upper room. He was just about to be crucified within hours. And Jesus overcome this obstacle we must overcome, and that is this, the win. The W-H-E-N, the time, the win. If you knew you were going to be killed tomorrow, you might call your family up, call your spouse, spend time with them, call some of your best friends, maybe confess a few different things. You would act a little bit differently. You, you would put some things in order for sure. 
And who knows, you might have your favorite meal. You might uh, sing your favorite song, play your favorite game. But do something nice for yourself. Jesus didn't do that. Jesus served. Jesus overcome the wind. And to be honest, there is no execution. There is no forms of murder or killing of any one of us today that would ever trump what Jesus went through. He had the greatest or the most intense form of execution at the time, the most shameful means. They would strip you from their, your clothes and just nail you to two boards and then mock you, spit on your face. And then this wasn't just a man. He was an innocent man. And beyond that, he was the son of God. He didn't do anything, and yet he was crucified. And I think the biggest pain or the, the most excruciating part of the cross maybe wasn't the physical aspect of getting nailed to a couple of boards, but it was separating from his father. The sin that was placed on him because he who knew no sin became sin so that me, we might be made the righteousness of God in him. He had never knew, known sin, and yet all the sin of the world, past, present, and future, was placed on him. And you know the agony he was in, because in the Garden of Gethsemane, he was sweating drops of blood. If you're just sweating at anything, you're working hard. <laughs> and Jesus is sweating blood. He was going through a lot of pain and agony, knowing this in his foreknowledge still Gets on his knees, grabs a basin of water and a towel, girds himself and begins to wash his disciples' feet. Now think about that and overcoming sometimes the wind because a lot of times we excuse ourselves from things that we could serve because of trials we're going through, burdens we're bearing, or, you know, I'm a little bit too old or I'm too young, or put yourself in whatever excuse and you said, this time period is not good for me. And there is definitely proper times where maybe you should be excused from something. I'm not taking away from that. But sometimes we are so easy to run to those and not easy and swift to run to serving. Jesus overcame the when, the time period. But he also overcame another one, and that was the who. This really needs no verse to explain. He did it in, to his disciples. These were his best buds. <laughs> His closest companions for three and a half years, he mentored them, he taught them, and he had hundreds. He had many of them, many followers, but these were the closest of them all. And again, in the foreknowledge of Jesus Christ, he knew Judas would betray him. He knew that Peter would deny him. He knew that all of them would run away. He knew that they would, in essence, stab him in the back and, in the back and say, yeah, Jesus, we're going to follow you, but uh, probably not if it's going to mean our life, we're running away. Jesus, knowing that, still committed to wash their feet. It didn't matter if they were going to deny him. It didn't matter if they were going to reject him at a certain period of time. He said, I'm still going to serve them. And sometimes we kind of narrow our focus only to a certain demographic of people. Again, it goes back to only people that sometimes we can get something back from. Or only certain people, they can see what we're doing. And sometimes we'll... Deny maybe the children or deny maybe like a, a, a bus kid or somebody who's homeless or maybe it's elderly or, or younger or whatever. And we just kind of are a respecter of persons. And with God, there is no respecter of persons. And Jesus, even in knowing that these men would deny him, still decided to serve them. There might be somebody who's done something here 
tonight to you, and it's offended, especially when they're believers, they're Christians. You would expect that from the world, but not from them. And it it, it bothers you. There's a little fire of indignation and wrath. And uh, number one, we should forgive that. And what is the Bible saying about your enemies? Now, we're not enemies with each other, but it's the principle of if somebody does something to you, then heap coals of fire upon their head. Do something nice back to them. (laughs) Um, Fight evil with good. (laughs) So when Jesus did overcome this obstacle, and that was the win. And lastly was the the how. The how. Now again, in verse number verse number four, it says he arises from supper, laid aside his garments, and took a towel and girded himself. And then after that he poureth into water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet. So he could have picked a variety of different ways to serve. I'm sure there was a a variety of different things. He could have fanned the guys with a palm branch, or he could have uh, maybe just served the dinner, or passed around the the matzah at the time, or just the juice. And he could have done something else, just taken their cloaks or their coats off them and hanged them on on a rack or something like that. But instead, he took the lowliest of positions. Now, you know, washing something might not be that bad, but washing feet, it's not fun. <laughs> it's the most undesirable human body part. It's feet. It's disgusting. <laughs> and Jesus said, I'm going to wash their feet. I'm going to take the lowliest of positions. See, here's what we often do in our service. We define the terms of how we will serve. We kind of create this standard of service. Say, Pastor, I'll do this, but not this. <laughs> and we might not admit it. Verbally, but we show it in our action. You you find the easiest and nicest thing to do, and yet other things that are very important are left undone. Jesus didn't matter about the type of service. He took the lowliest of position and began to serve. I remember as a dorm supervisor, there was a young man that came up to me. He was in my dorm, and, and I was cleaning the dorm at the end of the semester, and he asked if he could be of assistance slash service. I said, yeah. His name was, uh, his name was Michael. And um, I said, yeah, you can, you can help me out. And I knew, I knew he was this type of a person that he just kind of wanted to say he was willing to do something. And that was like the fact that he was going to do something for me was going to give him the reward. But he didn't really care about whatever he was going to do. So I thought, you know what? I'm going to give him a really tough job. Clean the toilets, bro. <laughs> I said, like, clean the restrooms. And he looked at me and kind of stuttered. I was like, um, um, well, uh, I, I, I can't do that. I said, well, you just ask, is there anything I need? And I need that done. I was going to do it. <laughs> or, or I needed it done. And he said, well, well, well is, is there anything else I could do? Now, that might be a funny story, but isn't that how sometimes we serve? <laughs> Pastor, is there anything I could do? I'm here for you. And we just kind of want Pastor to know we're ready to serve. And yet he'll give us a job and say, yeah, why don't you pass out the bulletins? Or why don't you work in the nursery like Pastor? You, you do understand that, that small children and, and myself, we, we do not get along. That's a, that's a formula for disaster. So I don't, I, don't think I, can, I don't think I can do that. Now, uh, again, I understand that the, the body of Christ is different members, and, and we're all different members one, one of another. And so we're working together, and you have a, a certain gift, and you should be placed in that ministry. I understand that. But again, there's some things that are universal service. <laughs> and we cannot define the terms of how we serve. 
And Jesus didn't care how it was going to be. He just saw a need, took the lead, and fulfilled that obligation. So look at these three things, and that is overcoming the, these three obstacles. If you want to be a good servant, yeah, you've got to be humble. You've got to be genuine, not in it for yourself. You have to be proactive, doing something about it, not just saying it. But then you have to overcome these things. And I, and I work on this every day. This is something I need. And that is what Jesus did. He leaves this for an example for us to follow. Overcoming the how. The, the form of service. What he did. He took the lowliest of positions. Overcoming the win. He was just about to, to die. Take the sins of the world. And overcoming the who. People who would deny him and reject him. As you go into this week, I hope you can keep those obstacles in your mind. It's going to be a lot. We have a flesh we struggle with. It's part of the nature. And when we walk in the Spirit, we shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. And we need to stay consistently with the Lord and, and full of His grace and His Spirit. But overcoming these three things just might change this community. It just might change your relationship with your spouse. It just might change how your home is structured and the joy versus the anger and sometimes the the malice and hatred towards each other and just kind of the turmoil. It just might change that if you have the mind of Christ. It was the mind of Christ that changed this world. It's the mind of Christ that can change you and the rest of this world. Let's have the mind of a servant this week. Let's pray. Dear Jesus... Thank you for the truth. Thank you, Lord, that um, you were our perfect example of how to serve. I'm thankful, Lord, that I don't have to necessarily look to a man who consistently fails at uh, their testimony, but someone who was perfect, and I can see that consistently found in your word, and that was you, Jesus. You were perfect. You were a man, but yet you were fully God. And you came to this world and took upon yourself the form of a servant. You were made in our likeness. And yet you humbled yourself. You became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross, Lord. You are, you are amazing, Jesus. And God, I pray that we'd follow your example, overcoming these obstacles. And I pray, Lord, that we would be better for it. We would be servants. And that Westside Baptist Church would be different than when they arrived here this evening that they would have the mind of Christ. So I ask it in the name of Jesus. Amen. Boy, a good tag team from this morning. Amen. God wants us to have the right mind, and I'm afraid we've become Americanized too much so that we fail to realize what really is the joy that we can have. There's joy in serving Jesus. He's told his disciples... Happy are you if you know this and you do it. it. That changed my philosophy as a pastor because I used to go out there and clean the toilets and I didn't want to bother people. Then I decided that, you know what? It's not a bother to people. I'm robbing them of blessings. So let's go out there and get blessed by going clean the toilets. Amen? Either that or washing feet. I'm not sure which is dirtier. So, uh, But praise the Lord. Thank you for that message. Thank you for the... Um, the singing tonight and the piano playing. We're going to take up an offering, a love offering for this group. If you'd like to contribute to that tonight, you make a check out to Westside Baptist Church or drop in cash uh, or small children. We do take small children around here, all right? All right, well, let's ask the blessing on the offering. And if God is speaking to your heart, you know, 
the challenge of uh, Jim Shetler, which is uh, our preacher's dad, uh, was, you know, what does God have the calling on your life? You know, not just to go out and retire or just go out and, and um, go out for our comforts, but what does God want us to do? This is the only life that we have to live for Him in this flesh before we die, and we will be rewarded with the life that we live. May God help us. Father, as we uh, take up an offering tonight, we thank you for the privilege of having West Coast with us. Lord, we thank you for the, the preaching of your word in Philippians chapter 2 there, and then in John chapter 13. I pray that, Lord, that you'll just speak and continue to work in our hearts. I know sometimes we get tired. I thank you what Yoshi said to me this morning in Galatians chapter 6. Uh, Don't be weary in well-doing, for in due season we shall reap if we faint not. We're thankful that, Lord, you are the one who has purchased us. You own us. And, Father, we owe you everything in our lives. As Paul said, to be living sacrifices for your honor and glory. Now bless our offering in Jesus' name. Amen. Heaven came down and glory filled my soul. Let's go and live in the heavenlies. Amen. Thank you for tickling the ivories tonight and joining our pianists around here who are schooled in music. Amen. Did you enjoy it? Say amen.